14 games, 14, we're going to hit on today, player by player, every single one that you rostered this week to give you the details that you might have missed along the way. Hayden Winks, John Daigle of 4 for 4, and we kick it off with a 69-pointer. We know we have to start with a nice game. Eagles versus Commanders. Eagles improved to 7-1, and one, beating the Washington Commanders 38-31 in a comeback victory, Hayden Winks, with, dare I say, 35 points scored in the fourth quarter combined between these two teams. It was a fantastic game. Jalen Hurts finishes with 98th percentile EPA, 95th percentile completion percentage over expected. The real story here was just AJ Brown, just absolutely dominating. Again, he's the first player in NFL history to have over 125 receiving yards in six straight games. Eight of his nine targets went for a first down. And it was the play of the week to me was that one-handed touchdown grab that I've given obviously saw he looked completely unstoppable the difference in this game though Devonte smith also gets home with a long touchdown gets a little bit more involved his touchdown does come on a coverage bus which we've gotten used to against this commander's defense uh with a little bit of a rotation with deandre swift boston scott and kenny gainwell kenny gainwell loses a fumble at the goal line jalen hurts on a bad snap on a potential uh tush push He loses a fumble at the goal line. So the Eagles score 38 points. They lost two potential touchdowns with fluky uh, fumbles at the goal line. So this could have been a 50-burger with the Eagles, but it just shows you how uh, in command Jalen Hurts is getting. It took a little bit of time because we do have a new offensive coordinator over there in Philadelphia, but this team, you can really start feeling uh, that it's really starting to come along. And last note, DeAndre Swift, he scores a touchdown on a little wrinkle with the the brotherly uh, love push, we have uh, a reverse with DeAndre Swift going to the outside when Jalen Hurts was faking going up the middle. Lots of fun stuff in this one. I believe that's called the brotherly shove. Um, I do want to ask about the Washington end of this mm-hmm. because we've seen Sam Howell on both extremes this season, and he is on pace, or at least prior to this game, for 97 sacks, shattering the NFL record. Mm -hmm. And this one, he finishes 39 of 52, 397 yards, four touchdowns, one pick, and just one sack taken against this very good Eagles defensive line. What gives? He was, he was awesome. There was basically, he missed a couple throws. He had a couple turnover worthy plays, missed a couple plays. There's one really deep down the sideline to Brian Pringle. But other than that, he was spot on. I mean, Terry McLaurin makes a big jump ball touchdown in the end zone. We have Jahan Dotson and kind of the stack set. He gets wide open for a touchdown over the middle. Logan Thomas, once again, massively involved, but he was throwing the ball downfield, buying a little bit of time on some of these throws and just throwing missiles. It was one of these games where you can get pretty encouraged with Sam shot. Howell. Cause once you, once you remove the sacks, man, Sam Howell is able to sling the ball around. So he's a player in development. We'll see how long of a leash the commander's, do you give him they are three and five on the season, but it's not because of the offense. Obviously, there's a lot of inconsistencies, but this is a team that's allowed the most points in the entire conference. And that's been the big thing for fantasy purposes, even though this this offense spreads the ball around right. to everybody, running backs, tight ends, a bunch of different wide receivers. Like, for example, like Jameson Crowder comes into the mix here. Sam Howell, this was his fifth game with at least 39 pass attempts. The commanders are top 10 in neutral pass rate. Going into this game, they obviously threw the ball all over the yard. And this Eagles defense in the secondary, the reason why they traded for Kevin Byer, the safety, is because they don't trust 
their bodies in the secondary. So both corners, both cornerback groups got exposed by two uh, wide receiver groups that we know are pretty, pretty solid. Daigle, we'll dive into the individual players here in a moment, but just quickly on Sam Howe, we have a bunch of these young-ish quarterbacks in the league right now that have sack problems, right? I mean, it's him, it's Justin Fields has that problem. Uh, Desmond Ritter has that problem as well. I can keep going down and down the list. I don't know how many, and I wish my brain went back like this and could recall it, that flipped that on their head and were able to stop making negative plays and then just allowing bad plays to kind of go away. Because if Sam Howell does that, like Hayden mentioned, then we have an offense here that attacks more downfield. We have a quarterback who is willing to do that. We have a quarterback who is mobile dating back to his UNC days. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we finally have Jahan Dotson popping up here for 10 targets, eight receptions, 108 yards, and a touchdown. And it's, you know, a never wrong, just early moment we have here too with Jahan Dotson. The volume for Hal is basically what's still getting him there. And next week in Foxborough against New England is slightly scary in terms of mm -hmm. streaming him. But I also think what's contributing to Dotson being better these past two weeks with 21% of the team's targets is Curtis Samuel condensing the target tree since Samuel now has been banged up in back-to-back -back games, left this one early too. So that certainly makes it easier to have more confidence in him and Logan Thomas. I couldn't tell what Curtis Samuel, because going into this game, it was a foot injury. He leaves mm -hmm. with a toe injury. So you know if it's the same injury or whatever, but he only played 21% of the snaps. That's why uh, Jameson Crowder, who honestly was like making plays like every 15 minutes. It was pretty crazy, even on special teams as well. Logan Thomas, he's hurtling dudes in the flats. He's winning man coverage routes uh, for red zone touchdowns as well obviously he does his best when he is in close games or trailing and then uh b rob he handles 11 of the 13 carries rodriguez was not in there at all but we've seen this offense really lean in to just passing the ball all over the yard yeah and i think that's the most exciting part about this team the defense is pretty whack it seems like they're going to be trading either chase young or montez sweat in the next 24 hours and this team's just going to have to live with the growing pains of Sam Howell, who has some growing pains, but at least you can put on a highlight tape of his and be sold at least for fantasy purpose for, I would say specifically Terry McLaurin. On the other side of the ball, it is funny that the road to Emmanuel Forbes, the team's first round cornerback getting benched, pretty much began the last time these two teams played in week four yep. because they tried to put him in man coverage against A.J. Brown, who basically has a full foot over him. And Brown had 175 and a couple touchdowns. This one, they unbench Forbes, and they put him right back on Brown in man coverage, and he just mosses him. He has a big 20-yard catch as well. It's like, Ron Rivera, what are you doing consistently? Mm -hmm. What are you doing? I mentioned this to Hayden before we got started, but those three touchdowns along the left sideline look exactly like where Justin Fields threw his three touchdown passes to DJ Moore right along the left sideline. I don't want to be the person where the sky is falling because, you know, they're coming off a win. And But can I ask a couple questions about DeAndre Swift here? Because I think there is like a difference between being like a top eight running back and then like mm -hmm. where he's living at this moment. Because, yes, he has three touchdowns in the last five games. But where this rushing game is right now with him, he has 57, 62, 18, 70, and 56 yards, which is fine. But long gains of nine in just three of those games. And as a receiver, sometimes he gets home. You know, he's 40, 38, eight catches, six catches in some of those. But we're getting like, we're rarely, if ever, hitting 100 total yards 
with him. And so, yes, relying on a touchdown can help when you're on a good team, but that also can go to Jalen Hurts and that also can go to A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard. I just wonder if he is as trustworthy as we saw even Miles Sanders last year. Is that a fair question to ask? I think so. And with no teams on by, for example, this week, I had DeAndre Swift as my running back 15, which feels a little bit more appropriate, obviously, when we're dealing with injuries and bye weeks, things change. But yeah, Kenny Gainwell, he was the goal line back that DeAndre Swift touchdown was not a goal line touchdown a little bit further out than that. So this is something to monitor. They do like Kenny Gainwell for whatever reason. I'm not sure why they like him so much. Uh, and DeAndre Swift ran around on 23 of 42 dropbacks. So it's not like he's like a full-time player. I think he's going to be solid enough. I think for most weeks during buys, he'll be somewhere around the RB12, depending on the matchup. And don't get me wrong. I think DeAndre Swift is a far superior player to Miles Sanders. I just wanted to bring that up. And it it is noteworthy what that Kenny Gainwell had four carries for like negative two yards in yeah. this game. So it's not like he did anything either. Bengals versus 49ers. Off the bye, the Cincinnati Bengals go out west to San Francisco-ish area. And when 31 to 17, this team is now four and three after starting 0 and two and one and three this season. And so the question is, how does this happen? I mean, this is three straight losses for the 49ers after giving up 404 yards to this Bengals team, 452 yards to the Vikings, 334 yards, to the PJ Walker led Cleveland Browns. To me, it opens with just how good Joe Burrow looked in this game. He had an incredible three-sack avoidance against three different 49ers, connecting on the third and 10 to T. Higgins. Um, he was eight of nine for 113 yards and two touchdowns on throws 10-plus air yards down the field, which we had not seen earlier this season. Again, he had six carries for 43 yards. That just speaks to why he was willing and able to hold on to the football. He was pressured nine times in the first half, and I don't think – had more than one sack taken during that span. And that was only by Nick Bosa coming off of his left side. So we get that element. And then we also get on the opposite end for the 49ers, some ill time turnovers by Brock Purdy and company. They turned it over inside the 30 yard line twice in the second straight week. The first one was an incredible interception by Jermaine Pratt, which I'm not going to put on Brock Purdy necessarily. It was a shovel pass. That he tried to extend, but it was this awesome one-handed tip pass to himself that Jermaine Pratt had. But then after somehow getting the football back and a really questionable Jamar Chase fumbled near midfield, they were only down 17 to 10. Purdy instantly returns the favor with a this time awful interception to Logan Wilson. And then on the very next play, basically an immediate touchdown to Jamar Chase on a fake bubble screen where he acts like he's the blocker and then no one tracks him into the end zone and he catches it. So yes, it got down to 24 to 17, but then we get a Joe Burrow, another 10 yard run. And it ends with the true miracle of all miracles on this week. Eight, a five yard touchdown run by Joe Mixon. Um, it was a pure offense and defensive performance by the Cincinnati Bengals. And I highly suggest everyone watch this game on Monday. Cause it really did have like a playoff feel to it. The, ADP issue was mm. baked into Burrow because we were not sure, even in battle royal drafts, right, that he was going to be completely healthy, given that he went into the bye dead last in the league in yards per attempt under pressure. But I knew it from the very beginning, as you probably did too, because on that opening drive, the Bengals came out with a pass on nine of 10 plays. You saw Burrow and that touchdown to Tyler Boyd escape three 
four different tacklers, including yeah. like dragging his leg when I thought he was about to get dragged to the ground out of a sack and instead scrambling to his right. It was so clear how much healthier he was two weeks removed now from the last time he played. Also, going into the bye, the Bengals were the only offense in the league running shotgun on 90% of their plays. This one, much closer to league average at only 75%. So they just came out as an entirely different team. Yeah, I mean, it's a small little detail, but they're literally the first play from scrimmage in this game was under center eye formation play action pass. Mm. And I don't think we have seen that through Ever. six games Ever. heading into the season Ever. with Joe Burrow at the helm and it didn't work. And, but it was almost like a message sent. I'm totally with you. And sure. They finished with 27 runs, 28 passes, but again, six quarterback carries for Joe Burrow on top of that. And look, they didn't play perfect. Like again, there's that Jamar chase questionable. Did he catch it? Did he enough time fumble? And then they throw it tight end screen to Irv Smith near the goal line Dude. and he just fumbles it. He is such a negative. He has never made a positive play in his lifetime. And so these are just even more opportunities for this team to potentially go up and score more points that they left on the scoreboard. Like they really did dominate the 49ers today. I felt mm -hmm. like. And next week they are back at home against a Bills defense that's missing a lot of players due to injury too. So with the kind of second tier of fantasy quarterbacks talking about that, Anthony Richardson, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, that entire tier has completely evaporated. So now Joe Burrow moving forward, now that we know that he's fully healthy, completely off the injury report. Same thing with T. Higgins, curious about how he played. Joe Burrow immediately slides all the way back up into kind of like quarterback six, seven type of range, depending on the matchup, even though he's been going into this game, was a quarterback 29 in fantasy. There's going to be a, a bi-week uh, splits that we'll all talk about for the rest of the year. And we mentioned in the last game where I think A.J. Brown is the first player in NFL history to go six straight games with 125 receiving yards. Chris McCaffrey in this one also ties an NFL record. 17 straight games with a touchdown. Wow. Um, that ties Lenny Moore. Never heard of for an NFL record. Um, pretty insane, and he scores two in this game. What it really should have done, Hayden, was realize that that record was at stake and just take the higher on whatever his touchdown was no uh, prior was. to this game in the pick and lobby because you knew Kyle Shanahan was going to get that. And again, we've been talking about Joe Burrow, how well he's been playing. Even T. Higgins pops up here for 5 for 69 as kind of the opposite of Jamar Chase for 10, 101. Um, and then once again, Andre Yoshibas, not Iosivas, Yoshibas pops in for a second touchdown on the season. He is like the Cincinnati version of Jake Bobo in some ways. He really is. He's much <laughs> bigger than I thought. Yeah. It, um, it's all going to write itself for San Francisco. The buy, in my opinion, is coming at the perfect time, getting Trent Williams back. But since this is a reaction show, yeah. I will say I'm more worried about Brock Purdy's sudden turnover tendency. And, um, looseness with the ball rather than the Niners defense because at least we can say they're getting pressure these past two weeks uh Kirk Cousins and Burrow went 23 of 25 under pressure the past two games like wow. the Niners are getting there their quarterbacks were just competent but Purdy now his last three games five picks two fumbles he's yeah. 25th in the league right now in completion rate under pressure yeah I I think actually both of those statements are pretty fair I will kind of push back on the defense because mm -hmm. I think it might be a Steve Wilkes problem and, mm. you know, we've seen this defense go from, and I'm going to miss someone, Robert Sala to D'Amico Ryans, and now we get Steve Wilkes. And those guys were kind of, you know, elevated from their current spots. And, like, Steve Wilkes is brought in from different defenses, kind of has failed outside of Carolina when given this opportunity like he was in Arizona. 
Um, I think 49ers fans might be a little bit upset by that. On the other side, I'm with you on Brock Purdy. It feels like now when they get to fourth quarters and the game is tight or they're losing, he feels like he has to make all the plays. Mm -hmm. And like yes. earlier in this game, he was making plays. Like he had 96 as a free rusher. He kind of froze him, rolled right, hit Brent Ayuk, and he was making really, really some awesome throws and some awesome moments that you're like, okay, this is what he does in this offense. That Kittle but, back yeah. shoulder, recognizing yeah. the safety moving. Yeah. Gosh, what a throw. And yeah, I mean, Kittle and Hayden's what you always talk about when one piece is missing. In this case, it was Debo Samuel. We get George Kittle nine for 149, including there was like this beautiful pass to split two safeties for George Kittle down the middle that went for like 34 yards. And then Brent Ayuk goes for five for 109. But it, it's like once one mistake happens, another one happens and another one. And I think it does show like some physical limitations or like yeah. some things that pop up that it might not if he wasn't, you know, the final pick in the NFL draft. I'm still pretty pilled. I think Brock Purdy's still awesome, but I'm with you. Like the buy should be coming at the right time for both Debo Samuel and Trent Williams to come back into this line. Those are superstars. I mean, yeah. can't downplay Trent freaking Williams. Yeah. Lou Anarumo. Assistant coach of the year. Ooh. Always. Uh, Tony Romo said this time he is certain that Lou Anarumo gets a head coaching job next offseason. But hopefully it's not until like the third wave of coaching interviews before Lou Anarumo gets a head coaching interview like it has been mm -hmm. and has felt like the last two times out there. Saints versus Colts. So last time we saw Derek Carr, we were all upset with Derek Carr uh, because <laughs> he became checked down Charlie threw the ball behind the line of scrimmage at the line of scrimmage to Alvin Kamara a hundred times. Well, how do the Saints respond? They're now four and four, and they put 38 points on the Indianapolis Colts, who come back with 27 of their own. And Derek Carr throws for 310 yards and two touchdowns on just 27 attempted passes. John Dayton. His third consecutive game over 300 yards as well. Jonathan Taylor recorded two explosive runs, including a 40-yarder on Indy's first drive, and that pretty much set the stage for what was about to be back-and-forth action for both offenses. Oddly enough, JT had 11 carries for 94 yards at the half and was only giving one carry and one target in the second half. Shane Steichen told the media after the game because there were no reports coming out about it, and he said that there was no physical limitations to report on JT's usage. But there is a play at the 225 mark in the second quarter where JT's seen hobbling up the field. So I'm guessing something happened. And Zach Moss just picked up right where he usually left off, even had a 41-yard run in the second half as well. So time will tell what happens. But Minshew finds Michael Pittman on the on their opening drive as well for a 10-yard touchdown, a beautiful play design too. Uh, Pittman just leaked out right. He was lined up in the slot. Pick play, goes out wide, gets open really quickly, and Minshew hits him. Saints answer with an 18-yard touchdown pass from Carr to Alvin Kamara, and it was pretty much all Kamara from there. Three broken tackles slipped through, fought through the line of scrimmage. Taysom Hill also comes back with a 20-yard touchdown run, which was actually the Saints' longest run from scrimmage so far on the year, which is wild to wow. think about. And uh, a well-designed play on the Saints' next touchdown as well. Colt safety had to choose between Chris Olave or Rashid Shahid, and it was Shahid who scored his 58-yard touchdown. Derek Carr hit him in stride deep, too. But up 21-20, to 20, three minutes left in the third quarter, unanswered prayer 
by Gardner Minshew. Double move by Michael Pittman, and Minshew threw him to his outside shoulder. Uh, Minshew cut inside. So just a poor decision overall. The Saints then drive the field on that interception, and Alvin Kamara scores a 16-yard touchdown run to give them a 28-20 lead. Now also, because Minshew's more of a fun quarterback, he understands the system. But he's been better for fantasy than real life because of these turnover issues. And now opponents have scored 41 points off his nine turnovers this year. Absolutely insane. But Gardner Mitchell comes back. He delivers this dime to the back of the end zone to Drew Ogletree for a touchdown. So the Colts are now only trailing 35 to 27 in the final quarter. And third and 13 with three minutes remaining in the game, Colts leave Tony Jones in one-on-one coverage against Shahid on the outside, and Shahid just burns him. And Carr hits him yet again in stride for a 51-yard catch. Coincidentally, 51 yards, which is also what Shahid averaged on his three catches today. Uh, Saints then eventually just drain the clock, kick the field goal to go up by 11, and they win the game. So where are we at with... Taysom Hill going into this game he's been the tight end 23 in scoring and in the last three games he's basically averaging like 10 touches and that's with everybody healthy Jawan Johnson is out there Jamal Williams is out there so obviously Taysom Hill's somewhat serious but like the question is how serious do we get with him isn't one of those things where you just throw your hands in the air and you're like whatever the play caller is feeling on a weekly basis it's difficult to know how Taysom Hill is going to be involved and to what degree, but he is going to be involved. Like nine carries for 63 yards and two touchdowns is very different than like the eight slot targets that we got as him as a slot wide receiver. What was that two weeks ago? Right. And yet they're involved, but it's almost unpredictable. He's it's one of those players that it, to me, we cannot have the foresight of knowing what he's going to do on a weekly basis, other than that. He's going to have a dozen plays where he's featured. Some formats allow you to play him at tight end. And that's pretty much where you value him the most since we keep on losing them by the dozen every single week. So I still consider him a low end tight end one and you just understand the volatility that comes with it. I was most encouraged though, still to see 54% route rate with Jawan Johnson back in the lineup, not to mention those, those carries and playing quarterback for a couple snaps too, that you mentioned as well, sprinkled in. Um, I know Alvin Kamara did have an angle route touchdown. So like that isn't a PPR scam. That is not Satan's game. Uh, I do want to add 38 points scored 350 yards in the air. And Chris Olave only goes five for 46 like that in, in an environment where a bunch of points were scored and yep. a bunch of yards were thrown. Chris Olave is still exactly where he has been. It feels like for the last month. And whereas car hit Shahid and stride downfield twice, there's just some something off with the communication with Alave. Uh, his first deep target, five yards over his head. Not even close. All prayer yards because they're not being answered. And then his next one, he did get open for a deep touchdown. He dropped the ball, which oh. was the the biggest letdown from Olave's day. And then one more deep target too, where it just was out of bounds. Wasn't anything to consider serious. But overall, yeah, I, I consider it communication. I consider it... Um, Alave, like not doing his part as well, the few accurate opportunities he gets. But yeah, just another letdown day. I think the other thing with Olave, he'll, he'll score long touchdowns this year. I'm sure they'll iron some of that stuff out. His skill set does not translate to red zone production, especially in this offense where they're getting Alvin Kamara the ball down there. They have your Taysom Hill packages dialed up. They go heavy with the tight end personnel as well. And Michael Thomas, big physical guy as well. So it's harder for him 
versus how good of a player he is to actually score the end zone. That's why I keep comparing him to like Terry McLaurin, always capable of a long play because he's good, but it's a little bit harder for somebody, even though we think he's good to be like really fantasy relevant. Uh, I do want to bring up that Rashid Shahid, three receptions, 153 yards and one touchdown. I think he only ran 15 routes. Is that correct? Um, uh, yards per outrun God. <laughs> yeah, he he is. I love Rashid Shahid. And it feels like if they get, you know, single high or quarters, Derek Carr's just like, hey, man, just run vertically. And if you burn your guy, I'm just going to throw it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's awesome. But it's almost like the wide receiver version of Taysom Hill here where it's the opposite in terms of it's all big plays or nothing, but we just don't know how much he's going to be featured. And if he hits, he hits big. And if he doesn't, then it's going to be like maybe two targets for nothing or one catch for 19 yards and and that's it. And so if we get a, like if we ever get a Rashid Shahid full-time player, man, do I want to play that in fantasy football, but we just haven't gotten that at all this year. And until multiple injuries happen, it feels like we will not get that. It's also so much fun just covering Colts games. Like when we do our drafts, I try to reach for them because this is now back-to-back games with 38, at least 38 points allowed to the Browns and Saints, two offenses we really don't have much respect for, and they're a defense you can set your watch to. So you know mm-hmm. exactly like the players, what splits you need to look at. Totally. The Colts are top two in zone coverage coming into this. Gus Bradley's running a league high cover three rate in particular. And we know going back to last year Rashid Shahid ran 2.4 yards per route run against zone coverage. So it's just little splits like that. They're just so easy to spot against this Colts defense. My last note here early on in the game, Shane Steichen fourth in inches. They go back and forth. There's timeouts. There's delay games, a lot of weirdness, but the ultimate decision was for him to go for it. This offense under Shane Steichen, very yes. reminiscent of the Eagles, very fast pace. We'll throw the ball and we'll go for it on fourth downs. And that's why I think Gardner Minshew is going to continually be under ranked since 2020. He's been the quarterback 14 in fantasy points per game as a starter. This is a good environment because Josh Downs and Michael Pittman are just good enough players behind this offensive line with this super aggressive coaching staff. Yeah, I think Josh Downs has at least five receptions in every game since Gardner Minshew took over and here nice. again went for seven for 72. The Colts are averaging 70 plays per game and mentions oh, yeah. four starts now. Yeah, the, the most plays per game yep. um, of any across the league in games that they are featured in, if uh, that made sense. Rams versus Cowboys. Also, a team that we've been frustrated by for multiple weeks. Still frustrated. In the Dallas Cowboys. Go out there, improve to five and two, and post 43 points including 33 to nine uh, at halftime. I believe the score is, I mean, this is nutso stuff. Hayden dominating the Los Angeles Rams and Dak Prescott goes out there and throws 25 of 31, 304 yards, four touchdowns and just one INT. And Tony Pollard finishes with 204 yards and a touchdown. Oh, nope, Just no. 53 <laughs> scoreless yards again. What could you do? I mean, what the hell is going on with this? This game though, was a reminder that just because this wasn't in prime time, just because this was against the Rams, we don't get to talk about this on first take and stuff. But Dak Prescott was magnificent in this one. He had a seam ball to Jake Ferguson. Ferg Daddy scores a touchdown. Beautiful pass there. C.D. Lamb, we have him. He wins a, a route just against man coverage over the middle. We have a beautiful scramble drill touchdown from Dak Prescott buying time, which is nice to see because it's been a little bit hit, hit and miss since that injury, throwing the ball downfield on that one. And then Brandon Cooks, 
running a little stop and go route uh, down the sideline for another touchdown. It was 91st percentile EPA. Uh, it was 89th percentile completion percentage over expected. Dak Prescott was the reason they won this game. CD lamb was so nasty. We had the scramble drill touchdowns. We had plays down the sideline. We had man coverage wins. It was just all CD lamb and Dak Prescott in this one. Nice to see both Brandon cooks and the Ferg daddy score touchdowns because they were due for touchdowns. But once again, we can't get a normal game for Tony Pollard. I don't know what to do with this. We had a pick six. We had a blocked punt for a safety. We had a long punt return. We have Micah Parsons uh, with strip sacks. So we hit every single one of those boxes from like the week one to week four games where it's like, what are we even supposed to do here? So I, I don't have advice for you with Tony Pollard. That's between you and whatever you believe in, because I can continue to say that he's a, a buy low candidate and he still is, but it's a long it's, season. It's, <laughs> Well, well, I mean, who did he piss off to get this kind of usage? <laughs> well, it's, it's all the people for years, Daigle, who were like, we have to get rid of Zeke. The we ghost can only play Tony Pollard. How dumb of you. And then when you get full-time Tony Pollard, he gives you absolutely nothing except frustration. Even in the first half, too, did out-touch Rico Dattle 6-2, to two, but it's just not enough right now, especially since he's clearly still recovering from last year's injury because the way they're using him, he's just not even being helped out to be explosive this year either also it's probably much more elaborate than this but i think you just boil it down to the fact that the rams couldn't get there Dak prescott pressure on a season low 21 percent of his dropbacks today and he went eight of 11 on throws 10 yards downfield for 153 yards and four touchdowns i will say with tony pollard and if we go back and look at like his rushing charts from last season it was a lot of outside runs right he did have two five plus yard gains here today that were on outside runs but we're seeing more and more stuff in between the tackles. So I don't know if like that's not the whole story here, but he's it, not as it, fast. It, I think it's yeah, I think it's that's not as explosive. Speaking Definitely. of injuries, we have to talk about the other side. Yeah. I mean, Matthew Stafford goes 13 of 22, 162 yards, a touchdown interception. I mean, an awful game script in the first half, and then doesn't play in the entire, I believe, second half because he hits his thumb on a cowboy's helmet as he's releasing mm -hmm. it in the final 30 seconds of this game. It's on his throwing hand, Hayden. That's a uh, it's a big deal because even if Matthew Stafford hasn't been a fancy asset for many people, he certainly has been for Puka Nakua, who goes three for 43, and Cooper Cup back-to-back -back games that are bad, 10 targets, four receptions, and 21 yards. Stafford was trying to play through it, but he had a little setback with it. He was walking away with it. Uh, Sean McVay was super vague. They said that it was under undergoing tests, but he didn't want to disclose whatever the situation is. But... It's a huge deal because obviously it's your throwing thumb. We've seen with Justin Fields with a somewhat similar-ish injury where you can miss multiple weeks at a time. And with the trade deadline looming, there are some really big players that the Rams could think about trading now that this season does look like we had some fun with it, but they have lost a lot of games in a row. They're now sitting at three and five. Obviously, they have the Seahawks and the 49ers in their division. So I'm very curious to see how long Matthew Stafford's supposed to be out and if Maybe like we can dream like if like Cooper Cup or Aaron Donald or one of these that they would really want to explode this whole thing if they get moved. I there. Doubt it. Um, yeah, of course, it, it's always just speculating. But we're, we are at po the point of the season with this Rams team where if Stafford's finger is messed up, it's a it's a wrap. Like the, the defense in the secondary is just so inexperienced. That's why CeeDee Lamb was going crazy. Dak Prescott was making plays here. They can't rush the passer like Daigle was saying, even with Aaron Donald. So if Matthew Stafford is out, it's really bad. Brett Rippian, I think, is like a fine enough 
back up, but the, the drop off has been significant because I think Stafford's been like a borderline top 10 player. You said he suffered a setback. I just want it on record that he suffered that setback because after going out of the game and having his finger on his throwing hand, like you said, Josh, heavily taped, he comes back in, tosses a touchdown, Mm -hmm. and then Sean McFay in the two-point conversion uses him in a play where he runs out as the wide receiver to get the ball back, and he's basically left diving for the ball to convert the play and then bangs his hand on the ground. Like it wasn't anyone's fault, not McFay's. He coached too hard. What can you say? Unreal. I think to your point though, Hayden, yes. I, I immediately went to my leagues and started thinking about how I get off Puka, Nakua, and Cup because they can't survive with Brett Rippon. Like that mm-hmm. universe doesn't exist. Yeah. And I guess best case scenario would be speaking about what's the range of outcomes with Stetson Bennett if they want to view him. No, he's, in he's, he's not playing. I mean, is he? Yeah, that's long? what I'm saying. He's he like an active week one and. Yeah, I, I have no idea what that yeah. deal is. I have no idea. So it, it's just a situation where I've kind of lost a lot of confidence. I got to be honest, if Stafford can't go, a um, uh, guy who does a show on this program might be battling some calls here between <laughs> Los Angeles You'll and Minnesota first. where he's heading. That, I mean, that that that's the real outcome here. I want to ask you, Hayden, about Royce Freeman versus Daryl Henderson. Right. Nine carries for Royce, 12 carries for Daryl Henderson. Henderson actually is the team's leading receiver with three for 54. He got, he broke a couple of tackles on like this little screen play early on the game for Daryl Henderson, but it was Royce Freeman at the goal line. This was in garbage time, but still with Matthew Stafford in the second quarter where Royce Freeman did get the goal line touchdown last week. That was Hendo. Just my tape bro take. I think that Royce Freeman's a better actual rusher, but Daryl Henderson is the more reliable receiver in this offense. Cause he, is very trusted by these two, but if Stafford's out, then all of a sudden we're basically 50 50 in this backfield riding hot hands and an offense. I think it's going to be very cold. So uh, yeah, this is a, this was a turning point game for the Rams. They were going to be a fun offense if things clicked, but we had Cooper cup injuries early on in the season. Then we're going to have this Matthew Stafford injury, assuming it is a bad one. So what could have been probably is going to be a lost season for Sean McVay. Um, and hopefully it's just not as bad as it looks. You know, yeah. if it's like a week or yeah. two, that's not bad. And it doesn't tank our Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup shares. But if it lingers for three, four plus weeks and changes the not course good. of the season, then that tanks those teams that are playing those yeah. two players. Because as you said, they are this successful, especially Puka, because of the trust that he has with Matthew Stafford to throw it into contested windows and against zone coverage. It was funny. Uh, the touchdown here, you it's wide open in the end zone. You're like, oh, is that Cooper Cup? No. Oh, is that Puka Nakua? No. Is it Higby? No. Ben Skoranek. You're like, okay, yeah, the fullback many, from last year. How many tall white dudes do they have on this team? <laughs> Browns versus Seahawks. Your Seattle Seahawks improved to five and two against the Cleveland Browns, 24 to 20. And they opened this game with two really nice touchdown drives a, a 45 yarder for Kenneth Walker on the opening drive. And Tyler Lockett, third down catch. And then, yes, a Jake Bobo end around near the goal line where he puts his foot in the dirt, goes north and south, and hits it up the middle. Then the very next drive, sack, fumble on P.J. Walker. JSN gets a nice screen pass. And then Geno Smith has a sick, sick touchdown where he spins out of a sack from Zadaria Smith that turns into a bucket touchdown teardrop catch to none other than Tyler Lockett. Then after that, the Seahawks, and especially Geno Smith, 
really unravel a bit. First, it's on defense. Pierre Strong has a 41-yarder off a play-action screen. Then Kevin Zafanski pulls from Kyle Shanahan's bag of that middle tight end screen, a touchdown for David Njoku where he goes left, right, the C's part, boom, straight down the interior to David Njoku. That's 14-7. Then P.J. Walker hits Amari Cooper for a huge third and 10, follows it up by another huge Amari Cooper catch, and then Kareem Hunt gets a goal line carry. It could have been 24-14 to at halftime. Seahawks get a fourth and two conversion with 40 seconds left. But on the very next snap, Juno Smith throws an interception on an outside breaking route, and it wasn't the only one that he should have thrown here. Later on, he should have thrown another one to JSN, who sat on his route. Gino thought he was continuing on it. The Browns' defense drops an interception there. Um, but as we get towards the end, somehow the Browns are up 22-17. Three minutes to go. Seahawks get a stop on another third and three. Jamal Adams on a free blitz, tips the pass off his helmet up in the air, and then JSN gets the game winner on a bubble screen near the goal line that I believe was like an RPO action that they could have handed it off. And yes, in the end, we get the Seahawks at five and two with a bunch of names popping up here. No one's standing out, but at least all of Tyra Lockett, DK Metcalf, JSN, Kenneth Walker, and even Zach Charbonnet get involved in this game. For fantasy, a one-score game, uh, Zach Charbonnet's first game back from injury, and a big explosive run on the opening rot drive for yeah. Kenneth Walker, but Kenneth Walker still a season low 56% share of the team's backfield touches. What happened? So I don't know if I have an answer for you. I was trying to think of it during the game mm -hmm. for the vast majority of it from that first drive to basically maybe the fourth quarter, the Seahawks didn't really run the football. Like they kind of just went away from it. And maybe that was because they felt they couldn't push the Browns off the ball. They thought their defensive line and their offensive line were getting overmatched because in the end, you really just had 13 running back carries in comparison to yeah. 37 dropbacks. So I think that they had a focal point of their game and they're working in negative game script after those first two touchdowns. But to the tune of and to the point of why so much Zach Charbonnet in the second half, I can't give you that answer other than Zach Charbonnet was looking good. I don't think that this is like a negative on Kenneth Walker, even though it might look like it because he didn't do anything that was out of character or negative, And I didn't see any injury reports. I could be wrong, but live, I cannot give you a clear answer, obviously by how I'm rambling here of what happened here and why they just went away from Kenneth Walker. It was Charbonnet playing way more of the passing down work, but like that ended up being more than half the snaps. Like this, right. this was a big deal. Charbonnet coming in for more than half the snaps. Like to me, I'm not sure that means we can start him necessarily, but I do think that makes him probably my favorite handcuff in all of fantasy football. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, on the other end, since there was running back news heading into this game after we thought that Pierre Strong had a high ankle sprain last week, he returns immediately in this game. He gets the third carry, the third touch of the game, and then you don't see him until there's about a minute 13 left in the third quarter. And then all the fourth quarter, while they're trying to run out the game, he gets eight carries. So it was oh. weird in all of like the second quarter and the third quarter, it was a combination of Kareem hunt and a combination of Pierre strong, who was much better when they got him out on the edge versus up the middle. He's running into his offensive lineman up the middle. Mark Cooper looked great. Six for 89 could have had even more beyond that. There were moments when PJ Walker, you could tell by the tweets was like outplaying Geno Smith, but by that it wasn't 
it meant he wasn't turning the football over like Gina was or turnover one of the plays. But in the end, again, his interception and then took some sacks as well. Um, I will add, I mean, Charles Cross, Stone Forsyth did a fantastic job against Miles Garrett for the vast majority of this game. Didn't have a sack, I believe, until the fourth quarter. And um, good for the Seahawks. Like, they have so many pieces here. Their defense is coming together just a little bit that even some mistimed penalties between, you know, Witherspoon and Reek Woolen that were illegal hands of the face on third and threes would have given them even more of a chance to take this game in control in the fourth quarter, and it didn't happen. But I just really enjoy watching the Seahawks game and Seahawks team, uh, even if it's been a bit of a roller coaster so far with Geno Smith. We'll be able to see how good of a Seahawks team they are. They play in Baltimore next week. By the way, the, the week nine slate, there are like four NFL playoff type of games and that one, but that'd be a good test because I think the Seahawks at least have the pieces to make a sneaky run in the playoffs, especially if they can get their inexperienced secondary all playing together. Um, Dale, do you have a good read on like when Deshaun Watson is going to return? I don't. And honestly, when he returns, you still can't have any amount of confidence throwing him out there in his first game. And I speak as someone who threw him out there in his first game last week <laughs> only to get negative points. Same. And shout out to Mo Hurst, who I loved as a prospect mm -hmm. coming out, I believe of Michigan. Yep. Um, thought he could have been like a top 20 pick that year, had a heart condition, dropped like until the round fourth round, I believe. Did nothing with the Raiders, did very little with the 49ers. Now as a 28-year-old, he's doing quite well here with the Cleveland Browns, had a tit interception to himself, dropping into coverage. Uh, that Gene Smith threw right to him. So just want to shout out some Mo Hurst love and give him some attention. Also, I comically have more confidence in David Njoku when he plays the backup quarterbacks. He averaged an 11% target share from Deshaun Watson. He's seen at least 25% of the team's targets in the three games he's played with Dorian Thompson-Robinson and P.J. Walker. Texans versus Panthers. In the game of the week. Mm. The Carolina Panthers win this one, 15 to 13, getting their first victory. John Daigle in the battle of the rookie quarterbacks. Bryce Young, 22 of 31, 235 yards, one touchdown in comparison to C.J. Stroud, 16 of 24, and a measly 140 yards. I'm going to stop picking Panthers games because it's upsetting when I'm covering it and you're tweeting it live <laughs> as a fan that doesn't want to admit to I'm being a, a fan. fan. So. From yes, now on, I'm just going <laughs> to let you have them. But you can at, you can chip in along the way since you also apparently covered the game. I thought it was one defined by defense. Bryce Young had to overcome six sacks and three drops by his wide receivers. Uh, and I was most curious. I picked this one because I wanted to see the rookies out of the bye yep. and what Thomas Brown would do having two weeks to – implement play calling for them. And what I noticed, I'll get your opinions on it too, since you're a fan, but what I noticed was six tight end targets, all three involved, Hayden Hurst, 16 routes, Tommy Trimble, a 13 with a touchdown, Steven Sullivan, even 11 routes to get everyone again, implementing the offense, a season high, four carries for Bryce Young, although three were scrambles, only one design run. And then the one thing that really stood out to me was how much more comfortable Bryce Young oh, yeah. looked. 6 of 10 for 9.3 yards per attempt under pressure this week. And that includes a 30-yarder to Adam Dillon where he stepped up in the pocket, hit him while scrambling to his left, 
uh, perfect placement on an anticipation throw on third down in the first half to Jonathan Mingo, who did drop the ball. Don't worry about that part. Uh, another dropped explosive downfield to DJ Shark while Young was scrambling to his right this time. And even Young's touchdown to Tremble was thrown under duress. On the other side of the ball, a couple dots, including in the red zone, that helped set up uh, their touchdown from C.J. Stroud. But again, both defenses swarming and limiting points on the board here. Even Frankie Louvu, in his first game back from injury, looked like a cheat code on defense. Damian Pierce came in, tried to oh score my God. The, the goal line touchdown. Oh, we got to talk about this. We have to, we have to outline this because this is just about the worst luck imaginable. Okay, so yep. it's early in the game. Damian Pierce gets a goal line carry. Set up by a, that CJ Stroud red zone throw. Yes. Yeah. Scores a touchdown. Okay. They go to commercial. We come out from commercial and it's like, oh, actually he didn't score. He stays in the game, does a short motion to the left and then away it's a from handoff him. away from it. And it's a short handoff to Andrew Beck for a touchdown. Okay. And then later in the game, right? Later in the game, we get another goal line situation. Guess who's in there? Our guy, Damian Pierce. All we need is a rushing touchdown. All we need. He's in there. They do the same short motion to the left and hand it off once again to Andrew Beck. That is stuffed. And you're like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Damian Pierce on the next carry runs to the left. Two free Panthers. Yeah. Guess who doesn't block anyone? Andrew Beck. He doesn't touch a single defender. And so then Damian Pierce gets stuffed. And then I think CJ Stroud rushes it in for a touchdown on the very next snap. So, it was right there. It happened, and then apparently it did not happen, Hayden. And you need those rushing touchdowns because now the past two games, yeah. Devin Singletary and Pierce are literally splitting touches, 25 apiece in these last two weeks. But fast-forwarding to the end of the game, Circus Act <coughs> even get to the end two. 38-yard field goal try for the Panthers to oh. seal it. Tavier Thomas jumps early to try and Force? block the kick. Did you not think it was early? Oh, okay. I Twice. thought you said he didn't. Yeah. He jumped early to block the kick, ran into the holder, so they <laughs> moved the ball 10 yards closer. He's then, that second time, is flagged again for unsportsmanlike conduct because I believe he was trying to jump off sides to stop the clock, but maybe he was just trying to get an early jump. Whatever the case, they moved the ball another five yards closer. And even then, uh, a flag was thrown on that third play for offsides, but Eddie Pinero sunk the kick. Panthers decline. We're good to go in the game with Bryce Young's first career win. So the Bryce Young stuff, to me, what stood out the most was how much faster the communication was from Thomas Brown to Bryce Young versus what it was from Frank Reich to Bryce Young in the past. Because mm -hmm. so often you'd see him get to line of scrimmage. He was having to make checks and calls, and there was already nine, eight, seven seconds left in the play clock. I don't think they had a single delay of game or even close to it where that was a nightmare in all of the previous ones. Six sacks is still a big deal. Iki Kwanu still has led for feet. But Bryce getting like all of these players involved. And Hayden, you're going to watch it. That throw he makes to Adam. Thielen that was a dime. That was a dime. a freaking dime. And this is a, a game where they had 44 rushing yards. So like I understand Chuba gets 15 carries and Miles Sanders is completely demoted here. But... They, it's still the exact same outcome as if Miles Sanders was running the football because they can't block. They can't block anyone. And so Bryce Young has to carry it against a D'Amico Ryan's defense, and he does fantastic. He does a great job in this game. That's what's... I mean, I mean, just they scored 15 points here. The 
Texans are still without Derek Stingley and they're splitting touches everywhere. So like we start Adam Thielen, like the, literally you can't play. You're, you shouldn't want to play anybody. Like if you're starting Chuba Hubbard or Miles Sanders or Chark or Mingo, like your team's screwed. No, and they did have a failed fourth down inside of the five yard line. So there's like another opportunity there too. I'm just more talking about it from the standpoint of, hey, we get competent play calling oh, now sure. versus in the yeah. first six games we did not. And it was only Adam Thielen. And if there is going to be, I just want to see Jonathan Mingo take a little step forward, and he did in this game. He still looks a bit slow in those first two steps. There is not very much quickness to his game. Let's put it that way. But this is just something to build on. That That is for sure. And I, I'm not expecting this team to win. But on the opposite end, Hayden, like the Texans, you can't start any of these guys in this game. Like retroactively, Nico Collins goes four for 30. Tank Dell, three for 16. Damian Pierce, 12 for 46. Devin Singletary, 10 for 30. This is the worst Texans offensive performance they've seen this entire season. And this is coming out of a bye. That's a bit concerning. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't watched it. Yeah. Nothing special to report on the wide receivers. Uh, Tank Dale used in two wide sets in place of Robert Woods. Also got three carries in this one because they designed a few plays for him too. So that's encouraging. Um, Nico Collins, a couple yards left on the field by overthrows, but nothing to write home about. I will say, maybe it's not confidence, but I am much more open to playing Chuba Hubbard than you, it sounds like, moving forward, because at least we did get Miles Sanders eliminated, and that's what we need. Like, we can't get Damian Pierce there because it's a timeshare for an offensive line that has been uh, creating the fewest yards before contact, which is in line and play a play-calling stat. Even, like, for as, as good as Bobby Sloak has been this year, the Texans still have a major issue, and they're running the ball at the third highest rate on early downs mm-hmm. this season, and they're setting up C.J. Stroud for long third down. It's like the one blemish that they need to remove from their offense and play calling altogether. And both Pierce and Singletary had runs where they should have had like two or three yard losses, and they turned them into 12 to 16 yard gains. Like it, it's just on both sides, running backs were getting hit behind the line of scrimmage and then trying to convert them, and it's clear that, again, the Texans had two that could and the Panthers had two that couldn't. But two touches for Sanders compared to 17 for Hubbard, yeah, a season low over. 8% share for a backfield touch for Sanders. Again, much more confidence for me and Hubbard moving forward under what we think is going to be growing play calling. Like we yeah. think it'll get better weekly. And they play the Colts and the Bears over the next two weeks. So those are one for yeah. the Colts, a game that's going to involve a ton of plays and against a Bears defense that we've seen have a bunch of points scored against them this season too. So. Longest okay. recap for a 15 to 13 game ever. <laughs> it's, it's deserved after all the punishment that Bryce Young got in the first six weeks of the season. I'm sure. Jaguars versus Steelers. Well, this one's 20 to 10. The Jaguars win six to two in a rainy, stormy game where Trevor Lawrence goes 24 32, 292 and a touchdown. And Travis Etienne closes with 27 touches once again. For 149 yards and a score, including a 56-yard pass uh, where he roasted a cornerback in the open field. It wasn't a very sexy game here, obviously. Jaguars improved to 6-2. and two. By the way, the rest of this division has three wins, so Jacksonville's basically already locked this thing up. Uh, Trevor Lawrence had a brutal interception, forcing a ball to Calvin Ridley, but notice how I said he was targeting Calvin Ridley. Ends up with 10 of them. A lot of them were downfield targets calvin really looked fine to me nothing too special but it was nice to see him getting back to 
double t- digit targets it's just the way that he plays obviously like he's he's going to be mostly involved but he can get uh caught in some awkward uh games here evan ingram he has a fumble on his like little travis kelsey little pitch play that everyone's running behind the line of scrimmage lots of ppr scamming for evan ingram who caught it seemed like seven passes that like didn't even go for first downs um but really it was travis Etienne. the play of this game was uh he was split out wide and joey porter jr the rookie corner had his eyes kind of back at trevor lawrence Etienne just runs right by him uh porter's not expecting Etienne to take carry this thing upfield so that was a long touchdown for him so uh nothing too special the Steelers obviously couldn't move the ball whatsoever here last minute on Jacksonville for me though Tank Bigsby doesn't play very much goes in there the field conditions were very sloppy just because there was some rainfall in here Tank for whatever reason is not wearing gloves and just like immediately looks weird like when he's not wearing gloves everyone everyone else on the field including Kenny Pickett obviously are wearing gloves and here comes Tank Bigsby without gloves immediately fumbles so the reason why travis Etienne is a bell cows one he's earned it. he's been playing well in both phases but tank bigsby is allergic to holding on to the football right now so that's why etn will be one of the biggest league winners a lot of l's in round three of fantasy this year round four in fantasy etn's been like the biggest w and bigsby was only in on that play because that's when etn got banged up mm-hmm. but as you said luckily they're buys next week so he'll be fine no worries uh For the Steelers, though, I thought it was interesting that after George Pickens earned a 32% target share in Deontay Johnson's first game back, and he was a full-time player last week, it flipped this week with Deontay Johnson having a 40% target share, and Pickens only got there because of his long receiving touchdown. Was that because of the conditions, or was it more about uh, moving the chains and Deontay looking more at full health? Well, Deontay is always going to get like a little bit more of the easier targets Uh, that George Pickens touchdown that he did have was a slant route where he roasted the corner and then also hurdled the safety for a touchdown. Uh, George Pickens was this close to uh, his signature. You've seen the types of catches he always has by the sideline. So it could have been a little bit better. Uh, We have Kenny Pickett, who it's, it's hilarious that we always complain, like, why are they calling these roughing the passer calls? Uh, like just let him play this one. Kenny Pickett, in my opinion, actually gets thrown onto the ground lands on his shoulder. They're calling it a rib injury. It looks like a classic AC joint injury to me was not able to play three through. It's not that like uh, there's a huge difference between uh, Trubisky and Pickett at this point, but Deontay looked good. He had one of his signature, like gets carried away into the blue tent only to come back and make a couple more catches out there. But I did want to bring one thing up uh, before this game. Just because you never hear this, uh, they were interviewing the Jaguars defensive coordinator, Mike Caldwell, and he said, quote, we want to make offenses one dimensional and take away the run game and make them throw the ball. That's what our focus is. So you really never get defensive coaches saying we want teams to pass the ball on us, but they are number one in neutral pass rate allowed and the Steelers in this game once again, uh, 71 percentage or 71 percent of their series started with the pass so very weird that jacksonville saying we're gonna put eight in the box you're not gonna run on us and we're gonna hope that our corners and our safeties are gonna be able to contain players but it's just very interesting because every in the league of two high defenses jacksonville's the one where it says like throw the ball a bunch of times that's why deontay johnson it ends up with like 14 targets for the last five games. They've kept their opponent to 20 points. So like I understand points doesn't match all that, but it definitely does when again, you consider Jalen Warren goes five carries for 19 yards. 
Najee Harris goes seven carries for 13 yards, and that's right. a long run of eight and three. So it definitely backs up exactly what Mike Caldwell is saying there. And I believe they're top three, top four in defensive DVOA this season, just in total, too. Mm -hmm. They had allowed the fifth most points per game to boundary receivers coming into this one, and it probably is because they leave their guys in man-to-man -man coverage on the outside often. We'll see uh, the Jacksonville was missing a corner and Andre Cisco, who's been a hell of a player uh, at safety as well. So uh, we'll see if, if Pickett is going to be out long term. You can't start these running backs right now. And then I think Deontay and George Pickens will just like ping pong weeks, but it's just them. There's no Allen Robinson. There's no uh, tight end in the mix. And George Pickens also was missed down the field as well. So it, it was close to a George, a big George Pickens game. Luckily, at least scores a touchdown. Patriots versus Dolphins. The Dolphins are now six and two after being the New England Patriots 31 to 17. And after an early pick to a tongue of Iloa and this Dolphins passing game was completely lights out. I'll pull up these passing charts in a moment, but Tyreek and Jalen Waddle basically had days that were mirror images of each other. The early touchdown pass was to Tyreek Hill. He simply beats quarters, splits the two defensive backs as a 42 yard score. And then Jalen Waddle was the dagger to win it in the end. Misdirection in the backfield after a couple solid runs to end this game. Uh, all the eyes and attention follow the flat routes, and Jalen Waddle was just wide open over the middle of the field. It's one of those occasions where, like, this Patriots defense actually played really sound football for like a really long time. They even get it again to 24 to 17 with 243 to go. But it's an instance where if you lose focus for one moment or two or three plays against the Miami Dolphins, you're getting torched. It also helps when that Jalen Ramsey returns and completely baits Mac Jones into an interception. But this is one of the few games where we get both Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill over 100 yards, probably the first time that's happened this year. Both get a touchdown in this game, and that needed to happen because this rushing game for the second straight week is not working to what we saw in the first five or six games of the season. 26 carries for 78 yards, one touchdown. They had some uh, injuries throughout the game. Robert Hunt at right guard, Kendall Lamb, the backup left tackle, both left for about a quarter. I think they both returned, but Raheem Mostert only gets there because of a goal line touchdown that he scores. Um, and again, just credit to the Patriots defense for how they played for a vast majority of it. And they even had some injuries of their own with uh, Kendrick Bourne leaving with what looked like a significant knee injury about halfway through the game. And despite that, he ends up being their leading receiver with three receptions, 36 yards and a touchdown. Devontae Parker also left the game, yes. which left Demario Douglas and Juju Smith-Schuster as basically their only wide receivers. I need to see more of the Dolphins defense because I would say it was their most respectable performance of the year. And I don't know if it's because of Jalen Ramsey's return and that's how they forced the Patriots to one of nine on third down three sacks and interception, or if it's because it's Mac Jones and the Patriots offense. Well, that Patriots offense, the number uh, one and number two receivers in terms of routes were Pop Douglas and yep. number two, Jalen Rager. I mean, what are we doing right now? Yeah, you, you can't win playing like that. And I just want to throw up the dots on the Jalen Ramsey interception because this is what he brings to the table. Obviously, he's tracking the vertical in number one, just reading Mac Jones' eyes, peels off of it, undercuts it, baits him into a throw, and he almost returns it. Um for a touchdown on there. The, I don't even know if there's even that much to say here about these teams because 
other than Ramondre, I know it only says 10 carries for 39 yards and a long run of 11. This was literally his best rushing game of the season from an aesthetic and eye test standpoint. You'll see him having like the same contact balance that you wanted and breaking tackles. And yet that only gives you 10 carries for 39 yards. And I think that might speak to what we can expect for the rest of the season, which is not very much. I mean, this offense is so miserable skill talent wise. Like even Juju, who they paid a bunch of money off the concussion protocol. There's really no reason why he shouldn't be out there for a bunch of snaps. He only runs 12 routes and 33 dropbacks with everyone else. There are other two receivers going down with injuries. So like if they're not getting anything out of Juju Smith Schuster, this thing is such a wrap. Uh, Right now they are fifth in uh, NFL draft order if they were drafting right now at two and six. So the season, the season's completely locked up, uh, especially with all the defensive injuries that they've had. Hunter Henry and Mike Jasicki also given pretty big deals for their positions and free agency. And it's Farrell Brown who leads their tight ends and receiving. It's just so ugly. I don't want to totally sound the alarms on this Dolphins running game because it was so nasty to start. But in the last two games for Raheem Mostert, that's nine for 45 and 13 for 46 with just six receiving yards in each of those two games too, right? Um, I do wonder how much we can attribute it to the lack of offensive linemen, and it might be that plus who they faced, right? It's the Philadelphia yeah. Eagles and it's the New England Patriots, just two teams that can bully up front and then coming up for the Dolphins after this in the hopes of that changing. It's the Kansas City Chiefs who can do that as well. Um, so it's it's a run of tough defenses right now for the Dolphins, but at least, you know, they went one and two over the last two weeks in that span. I have a lot of bone to picks with the NFL schedule makers. That is more about my personal life than anything, but I am still very pissed that they threw the Chiefs and Dolphins in Frankfurt at an early kickoff on Sunday this upcoming week. That's the worst. No one's watching our sit-start show. No, 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 no. We might not even have to do oh, that. No. <laughs> we might do it. We might do a Saturday sit-start show or something. Who knows? Jets versus Giants. Oh, the Jets win in the end, 13 to 10. I think I saw fans, Daigle, of both teams saying this is the worst game for 60-plus minutes because this one went to overtime that either side has ever watched. And I look at this. <laughs> The Giants quarterbacks combined, Tyrod Taylor and Tommy Danny DeVito, mm -hmm. for 6 of 14 for negative 9 yards. <laughs> and on the opposite end, Zach Wilson went 17 of 36 for 240 yards and took four sacks on the day as well. Just tell me all about it. Can't wait. Judy Batista of NFL.com tweeted out mid-game that, quote, this Jets-Giants game is great if you are a fan of punters and injury reports. And that's exactly what it was. These two teams, not only the stats you just mentioned, they combined for 24 punts and went 4 for 34 wow. on third down. Darren Waller ruled out with a hamstring injury in the first quarter. He was limited all week with that same injury. It's the same one he had in week one, and it hasn't bothered him since. So like after we talked about that 29.6% target share he had earned his last three games. I'm now like concerned for his future because he has this nagging hamstring injury with to deal with for the rest of the season. The Jets lost both starting center Connor McGovern and his backup Joe Tipman in this one. And then, as you mentioned, Tyrod Taylor left the game in the first half with a serious rib injury, was taken to the hospital for further evaluation immediately after, and then undrafted rookie Tommy Danny DeVito came in from that. From the 10:36 mark in the second quarter on, including overtime, 
the Giants completed two passes for negative one yards. Even Brian Dable had zero faith in his offense, opting for a 47-yard field goal try on fourth and one from the Jets' 29 in the second quarter. And Graham Gano, who, remember, the Giants gave a three-year, $16.5 million contract to this offseason, sailed it wide left and moved to 10-15 and 15 on field goal tries this year. Hold that thought. Because when both Dable and Gano had a chance to rectify that in the fourth quarter, Dable instead went for a field goal again on fourth and one from the Jets 17 with 28 seconds remaining up 10 to seven to put them up by six instead. And Gano yet again missed it wide left. So Zach Wilson, who was arguably playing the worst game of his career, and, and I know we've seen a lot of Zach Wilson. I'm not kidding. Do not go watch him play this game. To that point, was then given the field and 30 seconds to drive. And to his complete credit, he delivered a 29-yard downfield throw to Garrett Wilson, who made a spectacular grab on the play, too. But then also, Wilson threw it another 29 yards to Alan Lazard to move the Jets in field goal position and tie the game. The Giants go three and out in overtime, and then the Jets move the ball downfield to eventually win the game. And again, do not watch it. Robert Mays had a great tweet out here just talking about the Giants passing game. They had a success rate on their passes of 4%. That was the lowest Incredible. Uh, success rate since 2000. And that's when this database was started. And the one successful drop back they had was actually a Tyrod Taylor scramble, not even a pass attempt. And the, I think it was like in overtime or something like that. The Giants went ball to the flat to Saquon Barkley, ball to the flat to Saquon Barkley, and then another screen to Saquon Barkley. By that point, the defensive tackles were already tackling him. Saquon Barkley finishes with 40 opportunities in yeah. this one. That's like throwback LT numbers. I mean, this shows you why the NFL cannot expand. This yes. shows you why there can never be a secondary league like the XFL. Sorry if you watched that, Daigle, or the AAARP league or whatever it is. <laughs> because... When you get Tommy DeVito in there, who probably excelled in one of these spots, um, his team can't even trust him to throw the football. Like, this is why it doesn't work outside of, you know, 25 NFL quarterbacks. And if someone has to come in, it goes to shit. I mean, 36 carries for Saquon Barkley and the leading receiver for the Giants is Darren Waller, who was ruled out in the first quarter. In the first quarter after a... a you know, re-aggravated hamstring incredible. issue. It, it's simply incredible. I mean, really for the Jets, it kind of dwindled down, Daigle, to an amazing Brees Hall 50-yard catch where he made multiple Giants defenders miss and created an entire one by himself. Mm -hmm. And then Zach Wilson's final drive. And that was the game, right? That was the game. That was literally when the Jets moved the ball, yes. They didn't pick up their first third down conversion until the two-minute warning of the first of the fourth quarter. Wow. And why don't the Giants want to trade Saquon Barkley again? They're two and six. Uh, like, what's they didn't they didn't extend them? So, like, what exactly are, is their hope? I don't understand it. Uh, let's just watch the dots here, and then we'll move on from this game from <laughs> Brees Hall because this is like it's it's a one yard catch, and he yes. makes fifty eight whiff, forty one whiff, runs, splits, split seven twenty five twenty nine, and he's off the races. And it looks like he's not even moving, man. Yeah. He's just galloping. What a stud! Brees Hall is in this environment to still get home and get home early, early. What a player. Okay. Let's continue on with games. We did not have our total focus on 
but we need to talk about them, especially a debut in the NFL. Falcons versus Titans. A truly one-of-a-kind debut from Will Levis and this Titans team, 28-23 to over the Arthur Smith-led Atlanta Falcons, who we'll get to in a moment, and really the Arthur Smith Bowl. Okay, Hayden, Will Levis, 19 of 29, 238 yards and four touchdowns. And I need to bring up his passing chart because we do this every single week, right? So many shows. I have never, never in my lifetime seen a passing chart that looks like this where he's just throwing 40-plus yard downfield lasers over and over and over again, and there is nothing in between up until you get to 10 yards. It was a absolute laser beam fest, and Will Levis looks like a god out there. He just so built, which is super encouraging. I am totally here for Will Levis being an absolute freak because, quite frankly, we need it. Just going back to that last game that we're talking about, Will Levis ripping the ball. The ball leaves out of his hands like a freak. DeAndre Hopkins made a fantastic play down the sideline, but it wasn't just that. I think his actually his best touchdown was where he was rolling right a little bit just takes no torque for him just absolutely fire a ball in there and i think most importantly for him i haven't watched this game entirely just was catching the highlights and kind of tracking this game he only takes two sacks on 31 dropbacks and this titans offensive line is a complete nightmare obviously the falcons have some injuries and a lack of pass rush uh but no interceptions only two sacks for a player that i've seen multiple times have complete meltdown games that was super encouraging for them and also why we always want to root for getting the veterans out of there and seeing what the young players have because before the season's completely lost, you want to see what you have and somebody like Will Levis. And to me, if he keeps this up, even if Ryan Tannehill is actually back, I think that they should just keep letting this thing rip with Will Levis. That's how good of a debut it was. He led the FBS in sack rate on third down last year and then comes in and only takes two sacks here. The Titans had, to this point, on throws 20 yards downfield, zero touchdowns and four picks. And today, Will Levis threw three 20 20 yards downfield, all in one fell swoop. The first one I thought was a little... A bit exaggerated beat reporters were falling over themselves. And really it's like you said, Hayden Hopkins really just shook his defender uh, tossed. I believe it was AJ Terrell out of the way and got the ball. But the point was up until that throw, Will Levis was going through his progression, something I didn't even realize he could do. So he was still playing well to that point. And unlike Tannehill, that bomb was just giving his receiver a chance downfield. That also wasn't happening for the Titans before Levis came in. So two things to say. Again, we've never seen a game like this in terms of downfield shot, downfield shot, downfield shot, and that's the game. And negatively, we've never seen anything like this either. In that, is that sustainable? And if this doesn't work again, then what is there for Will Levis to pivot on over to? And those, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to sound concerned on that point. This just isn't real quarterback play, right? It's just not something that we see on a weekly basis. It's great that he can do it. But what we see so much more frequently is line of scrimmage, 10 yards, 20 yards, and that's where the NFL game lives. So I can't wait to go back and watch this. I'm so glad that now we get things that are expanded, and it's not just play-action pass from Ryan Tannehill. He gets crunched in the pocket, and boom, he tries to throw it downfield to Nick Westbrook at Kine, and then we go from there. This is something different. I just hope that there is also consistency to go on top of this, because if that's the case, there's really something to build. Yeah, it's... 
he was that player where the, the pros list was really long and the cons list was really long. We right. only saw the pros list in this game. We'll see how this floats out. But like the Titans offense goes from not watchable at all to get me on this game pass every single week with Will Levis out there. Okay. It's it's I'm going the- to be interesting next week because a matchup in Pittsburgh that actually has allowed the seventh highest rate of explosive passes, but also they can bring the heat. So I'll just be curious to see if Levis towers under pressure. Yeah. And Grady Jarrett left this game too with a knee injury and did, did not return. Okay. We also have to talk about the Falcons quarterback situation because Desmond Ritter during halftime undergoes a concussion test, which he clears after halftime. He has a ball cap on, on the sideline. Taylor Heineke replaces him uh, in comparison to Ritter's eight of 12 for 71 yards, five sacks taken in one half. Plus again, a fumble, which by the way, takes Desmond Ritter to seven fumbles and six interceptions in eight games a season, not seven fumbles lost. He's only lost, I think three or four of them, but still seven fumbles. That's the more important number here. Compare that to Heineke, 12 of 21, 175, one touchdown. What's your read here? Was this a real benching, Hayden? Or is Arthur Smith going to backtrack immediately and blame, like, oh, I'm just protecting the player, head injury, and he can come back and be our starter next week? After the game, the post the post uh, conferences were both Heineke himself saying that this is Desmond Ritter's team, and then same thing with Arthur Smith, and he said that this was because of health which is complete BS to me. That's just hiding behind injuries. He was awful in this game and Heineke was better and he was cleared to play period. So like it's a concussion. He passes the concussion test, either has a concussion or he doesn't, he doesn't, he got benched. I I don't know what the read is. I don't think that means that Heineke's for sure going to be the quarterback for next week. Um, But it was, it's more just kind of like posturing from Arthur Smith in the press conferences, which is super annoying. Uh, But I, I, I don't think, Taylor Heineke is that much better or that much worse than Desmond Ritter. This is a, I think a committee approach. We can see this thing going back and forth for the rest of the season. Um, yeah. Just the fumbles and sacks, man, it's just impossible to make up. And like when you're watching the Will Levis stuff, you don't see the Desmond Ritter freaking bombs and the athleticism going, going crazy ever. You're just trying to like thread needles with Desmond Ritter. So when you are getting these negative plays, you're like, where's the upside cases as well? The, condescending responses to or what annoys me the mm-hmm. most like I actually I personally don't care how you're using your players because our job is to interpret how yeah how you're using your players like I, you probably you could be doing dunce things but whatever my job is just to project what you are going to do that's fine but to like literally have Tyler Algier who leads the league in line of scrim fr- yards from line of scrimmage last five games last year than to still draft Bijan Robinson in the top 10 with your first pick and then to not use him like that's the that's the part that doesn't make sense because that's organizational malpractice not only that but you have a first round tight end and Kyle Pitts again I don't care how you use him it's I'm just saying you should probably use him the best way possible but there was even a red zone play today where get this Jonu Smith threw to Michael Pruitt while Kyle Pitts was blocking for them like it just it just doesn't make sense yeah I to continue on to that, I know a lot of fancy football people get mad at Arthur Smith. To me, it's always about, hey, let's interpret how this guy is utilizing his players yes. and and figure it out on a weekly basis if we can play them if we can't. And look, they've been somewhat successful this year. You know, He has been somewhat successful in his history. But what aggravates me is dating back to like his first press conferences as the head coach at the Atlanta Falcons, he is just demeaning. He consistently talks down to anyone that asks him a question and yep. like 
makes him try to understand or explain of why he's doing certain things. And then after two quarters, he benches, which is what we believe, benches Desmond Ritter for the exact things that he was questioned about heading into this when he said it was toxic groupthink to question if why Desmond Ritter has been getting, you know, criticism. It's been, I outlined it, seven fumbles, six interceptions in eight games. That is awful Daniel Jones numbers from when everyone thought that he was a bust. And so just that's what makes him incredibly unlikable. It's not about his player usage. That is frustrating, but it doesn't make him unlikable. Yeah. It's the way he handles all this stuff that makes him unlikable. And it's just, you're, you're kind of in this situation. You reap what you sow, I think, in, in many ways. And um, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, I don't understand why you sign Taylor Heineke if when he goes out there and completes 12 of 21 for 175 and a score, only takes one sack, again, in comparison to Desmond Ritter, 71 yards and five sacks, if then you're not going to play Taylor Heineke after this. So, yeah, just a thought. It and Drake London was in and out of the lineup of 25 of 45 routes in this one. I saw him <laughs> shaking up. I've also seen him kind of be in rotations too. So lots to kind of sort out with this one. Uh, I do think even if Desmond Ritter is the starter, you do have to bury him in rankings just because the in-game benching risk obviously is like severely real now. After the game, Drake London told media that he believes he can play, but he has to listen to the team's doctor. So we're really just in wait and see with this oh, injury. Boy. And Bijan did have his first uh, rushing touchdown. So congrats to you. Vikings versus Packers. Going to carry on this uh, quarterback injury theme because the Vikings do win this game 24 to 10. But Kirk Cousins is out for the rest of the season after tearing his Achilles. 23 of 31, 274 yards, two touchdowns. And it sucks because one, Kirk Cousins has played great football as of late. We all saw it against the 49ers. He was playing good football from what I saw in this game. I mean, KJ Osborne had 99 yards. TJ Hawkinson had 88 and a touchdown. Jordan Addison, 82 and a score. And that evaporates now if Jaron Hall is the quarterback. And that doesn't even mention Justin Jefferson, the number one overall pick in your drafts, potentially coming back here in the next few weeks as well. So this is a fantasy ender for a team unless a quarterback move is made. I was trying to wreck my brain with that same answer. Who's available? Well, like I know Carson Wentz is who comes to mind, but that that while they elevates players for fantasy, we know how that story ends. He's been on the street for eight weeks for a reason. I know you guys hate when I talk about trades and stuff, and I'm just galaxy braining here, but get Kyler Murray over there. Like reset this. You're not. You're already won four games. You're not in the Drake uh, or Caleb sweepstakes. You can easily trade for Kyler Murray. Save your season this year. See how he looks. Going to offseason, you have him under contract. I would love to see a trade like that. But really huge bummer for Kirk, man. Like absolutely balling this year. He's going to be a 36-year-old free agent who's not going to be able to practice all the way until most likely August or closer into week one next year. It's an end of an era, and I think it was a, an underrated fun era. I know it's frustrating for the Vikings, but this team was always watchable, always moving the chains. And I do think, Josh, that was a good point. If – it is going to be Nick Mullins or Colts or whoever as the quarterback here. Justin Jefferson's already expressed frustration for not having a contract. Does he want to go out there with a bunch of backup quarterbacks? There's definitely some uh, domino effects to yes. this. So I'm hoping that just like get this thing over with. Go find your quarterback of the future. Go trade for Kyler Murray. That's what I want. 
Yeah, they are going to be in quarterback purgatory, and they kind of knew it heading into this season because it was going to be Kirk's last season anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, one, it sucks for him. Again, he's playing great football, finally getting some respect out there, and this happens. And yeah, to the Justin Jefferson point, do you want to come back when you just saw your quarterback on a non-contact injury tears yeah. Achilles? No. I can say this because it's been reported out there. Colt McCoy visited the Vikings a few weeks ago. Did not sign. Okay. Um, he will get a phone call here. Who knows? Um I think we can both say, what does that mean for fantasy? He's not going to play the level of Kirk Cousins. That's my guy. It's not going to happen. But can that at least keep Jordan Addison relevant? Kevin O'Connell has been a play caller that we have seen over the last two weeks scheme the crap out of defenses. Like yep. Kevin O'Connell, to me, is an emerging top 10 play caller in this yep. league. And we are seeing that even without Justin Jefferson, when your elite wide receiver, the best his position in the league goes down, many other offenses will crumble. And we've seen the Vikings offense kind of flourish in the last two weeks. And it's not because of the running game. Because again, we get 62 yards on 31 carries from Alexander Madison and Cam Akers. It's all Addison being schemed, as you said, both inside the red zone, inside the 10-yard line, on screen passes, on man-to-man shots. I think that Bears game and Jefferson's first absence was probably Addison's worst at this point. But remember, even then he had a big explosive mm-hmm. drop and man-to-man coverage, so it could have been a better day. And now we've seen him have a touchdown catch in four consecutive games and seven total on the year. Unreal. Also, you know this better than me. Maybe maybe Colt understands the offense to pick it up immediately, but that's and also Kevin O'Connor my... Kevin were great friends. Really good friends. Okay, good. That's what I need to know. Because remember, even Kirk Cousins, that first summer last year when Kevin O'Connell was hired, it yep. took them all offseason to learn the playbook. It's such a complex uh, scheme. And so that's also my biggest concern for anyone stepping in. So Colt is very close to, and this is just figurative stuff, hypotheticals. He's he's very close to like the McVay tree. Okay. That's where Kevin O'Connell comes from. I think he spent three or four years in Washington together with Kevin O'Connell as well. So they're super tight. They talk like every mm-hmm. single week. So that that would be a part here. And I would just love my guy Colt to get a job, man. This is the time. I don't want to see Jaron Hall. I don't want to see DeVito. I don't want to see Clayton Toon. I don't want to see these guys play, you know? It's it's just such an interesting fork in the road because Quezzy can go in either direction here. Tyler. You're four and four. You're the seventh seed in the NFC, which is oh, wide open. And Tyler too. So maybe gets and a Kirk job Cousins, we don't think is coming back next year. So you can go either direction. the The world's your oyster here. You can rebuild, or you can continue fighting. Could you make a trade for like Ryan Tannehill here too? Like that. That's that's a good. That's well. an interesting one. That mm-hmm. makes the most sense. Okay, we also need to talk about the Packers real quick. They are two and five now. Dude, two Jordan and five. Love. Get out of and. My one, Jordan Love, 24-41, one touchdown, one interception. Takes another four sacks here. Um, they get He's a leading rusher on the team because Aaron Jones, I mean, anyways, we don't need to talk about the running game. It's just bad. And <laughs> don't then play in, the, in the passing game, it's obviously continuing to be all these young guys. It's like, I remember a couple weeks ago, I, I listened to a beat writer on the Athletic Football Show that covers the Packers. He said like 90% of the playbook, they erased from Aaron Rodgers, and it looked good to start the year. And now it just looks like, what are we doing? And I don't know if that's a Matt LaFleur thing. I actually think it's probably a Jordan Love thing, and he's trying to coach around the strengths and weaknesses of the erraticness of Jordan Love brings the table. And it's just going downhill right now for this Packers team each and every week. 
Their only I'm, offense is to cross their fingers that Romeo Dobb catches a target inside the 10-yard line. <laughs> like, that's literally all they do now. I mean, their losses have been to the Vikings, Broncos, Raiders, Falcons. I mean, it's like not like they're losing to the best teams. This team, right now, they're, they're six if the draft was taking place today. And the Jordan Love contract for next year is not something that the Packers have to worry about. So I think Jordan Love, this is probably going to be a one-year experiment that the way it's going right now. There's, there's no excuse. He got lucky. Remember the early on, we got the Jaden Reed uh, little shovel pass and yeah. stuff that was going to Jordan, uh, Jordan Love. It hasn't been real stuff to me. It's so many missed throws over the middle. Quickly speaking on the, the Vikings um, and just how good they've been, they had six conversions of third and eight in this game. Six. And I, I was advocating for the Packers defense earlier in the year, and it's gone back to exactly what it was last year. Just getting smoked. Just getting smoked. Two, two quick things. Yes, Love has been dreadful but the absence of brian belaga has clearly emphasized that and it's david not bakhtiari david, sorry yes david bakhtiari has emphasized brian, that. yeah you can say that's that's three years ago <laughs> yeah what's sure. the difference yeah it's, it's not helping anyone also <laughs> since we're here uh hayden buy or sell jordan addison wow I man mean, I mean i don't think who are you selling him to you know like i think i would just like let him i think i would just be like all right i'm betting uh, on Kevin O'Connell and like they'll just scheme this thing up. And also Nick Mullins is due back. He's been uh injured. He, he's yeah, expected like to come back. back. Like, yeah, like week 10 was kind of his target date. Like maybe that's something. At least we've seen like Nick Mullins like throw the ball to, to NFL players. But you're not like you're not pulling a fast one uh selling Jordan Addison. Okay. I think he's a good enough player to get schemed up. Question to you because we've seen this guy with a backup quarterback. Would you trade like Jordan Addison for Amari Cooper? Yeah, I would rather have Amari. Right, right. Which I think in worse leagues out there, you might be able to do because of what Jordan Addison has been putting up each week in comparison to Amari in recent weeks. I will say Kwesi is a very aggressive, modern GM. I would wait for the NFL trade deadline. We'll see. Chiefs versus Broncos. Broncos fans are going to get so mad at us for leaving this an hour and 26 minutes into the show. But they win over the Kansas City Chiefs in, I can call it Mile High Stadium still, 24-9. to Russell Wilson only has to throw 19 passes, and he gets three touchdowns off of those despite taking six sacks. What is going on here? He has 87 uh, adjusted passing yards by the end of this game, and they have 40 carries for 153 yards. I didn't watch a single second of this game. How did they win? Well, you have Cortland Sutton running into the back of the end zone again. Uh, he's still the leader in touchdowns over expected, basically. Uh, we had all the reports before this game that Jordan, Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton are still in the trade block as well. Neither of them looked that special to me. Uh, the ground game was whatever. A lot of Javante Williams and uh, a cloud of dust over here. So nothing really stood out on the Broncos end to me. It really was just like Patrick Mahomes was like very clearly not himself. Uh, they're still trying to figure out these wide receivers. I mean, Sky Moore drops a pass that I thought was a beautiful pass from Patrick Mahomes, but this did feel just casually watching this one that Mahomes was just kind of running around for longer and longer and longer. And none of the receivers were doing anything. And when you have the flu and playing in altitude in the snow and snuff, and probably on uh, some medication, all of a sudden you're, you're seeing sideways and Sky Moore can't catch the ball either. I had a lot of questions coming in about the improvement recently of the Broncos secondary because they do have studs, we know. Patrick Sertain, Justin Simmons. There was no reason they were that bad, historically bad, the first month of the year. But these last three games where they've statistically improved, 
You could also say they played poor quarterbacks and easy offenses. Having said that, it's now a month-long sample. In their last four games, just 6.6 yards per attempt allowed through the air, the 10th lowest rate of 15-yard gains through the air as well, and just uh, 13th in creating pressure now as opposed to dead last in the league along with the Cardinals. So maybe something is clinking, at least on the defensive side of the ball. Mm. I've never seen a, Doesn't a, seem like a you're box it. score like this. No, I actually never seen a Chiefs box score like this. The idea I do think it's true though. Like there's there was no excuse for why the Broncos were this bad. They Patrick Sertan is one of the best defense players. Justin in the Simmons league. is great too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm with you guys. Yeah. But the Chiefs are the yes. Game. You look at the box score, it's just confusing. They get Justin Watson back. Rasheed Rice is out there, still in a rotation, uh, 58% of routes as we expect when they're trying to use everyone, not to mention when you get Mika Harmon also implemented more. <laughs> it's just like it's becoming a confusing hamster wheel. It's so funny that the two wide receivers drafted the highest of this group. Sky Moore, one catch for eight yards. Kadarius Tony, one catch for four yards. And there we are. After eight weeks of the NFL, just season. get right. Dunzo. Ravens versus Cardinals. Even this game, I mean, for long stretches, looked much closer than it should have been. But in the end, the Baltimore Ravens win 31 to 14. But it's not much offensively from Lamar Jackson after last week 157 yards and a touchdown in the air. But all roads lead to the Gus bus, 19 mm-hmm. carries. 80 yards and three touchdowns, but just again, a 31 to 24 victory over the Cardinals, but at least our Baltimore Ravens improved to six and two on the season. Gus bust gets, gets driven when they're in positive game scripts. That's what we got in this one as well. He steals the show with a bunch of goal line opportunities. Uh, There was like some rumors that the Ravens were looking at running backs, but I think they have a good enough guy in Gus Edwards on this one. And Mark Andrews, I saw him some yards after the catchability, but uh, even though this game was close, I would guess if, you, if the Ravens were being honest that they didn't feel that actually threatened by Arizona. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's just one of those games that happen in the NFL. I know we're supposed mm-hmm. to have answers, but you know, four of 11 on third down coming off of a huge win where you just dominated a contender in the other conference. You, you're allowed to have these kind of games, especially when you still get the job done. Yeah. The team that was supposed to win one, the team that was supposed to lose lost uh i will add trey mcbride in his first game as like a full-time tight end 14 targets leads the team by a mile 10 receptions easily the most 95 yards and a touchdown i'm sure we'll talk about that in stats versus film and marquise brown luckily gets home with like real garbage time touchdown in the end with his six receptions and 33 yards I am I claiming Trey McBride as my PPR scan the rest of the rest of the season. Got we it. will not. I will not complain about it because it is coming and make some adjustments for it. Thirty-eight point eight percent target share, still very healthy. I personally still don't believe they bring Tyler back on the road in Cleveland next week. I would think they wait until Week Ten at home to bring him back. I could be wrong though. Uh, Gannon after the game said that it's going to be um, Dobbs. Dobbs for one more game. Okay, cool. Well, I fill in Joshua Dobbs in my super flex for uh, Kirk Cousins then. He did score three touchdowns today, including a rushing score. They, they're they the only other team that like pulls off the tush push than the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. It's that coaching tree. It's Dyken too. Okay, we'll close out with one more game. That's Thursday Night Football. Buccaneers versus Bills. A good amount to discuss here because all season long, I had been complaining about the Buffalo Bills forcing 12 personnel, what they call 11 and a half personnel. Dawson Knox out 
IR wrist surgery. And what we get is to me, Daigle, the bills looking comfortable and at their best and not funneling everything through Stefan Diggs. He does get nine for 70 here, but this team to me just looks so much better in 11 personnel with again, Dalton Kincaid out there five for 65 and a touchdown. And then rotating that third receiver spot with Cleo Shakur, Deontay Hardy, Trent Sherfield, And the little wrinkle that they showed was Gabe Davis in condensed sets, kind of acting as that second tight end and running shorter routes. And that's a big benefit to us too, because he gets 12 targets, the most in his career, nine receptions and 87 yards and a touchdown too. It is frustrating that it takes until your starting tight end is injured to then switch to a more wide open offense. As you mentioned, 78% rate from 11 personnel. And they came into this game 26th in using 11 personnel. The only other time they reached over 80% was the one game that Kincaid was absent for. Thus, they only had one tight end to use in that one. Josh Allen also a season high three design runs. I understand it's not still what we're hoping for to unlock everything, but encouraging. And then, as you mentioned, Dalton Cade, season high, 85% route rate, and Khalil Shakur, the winner in three wide sets, season high, 70% route participation, and 15.3% target share. This, to me, was a turning point in the season, and I think it's going to absolutely unlock this Buffalo offense where you're going to see PPR volume that you will not believe. For this mm-hmm. season, it was Josh Allen's uh, quickest time to throw at yep. 2.3 seconds. The next closest was at 2.8 seconds. And that was back in week two. And on top of that, short of the sticks raise was just like average at the target. Uh, this was the first game under six on the season. And it's very effective. You're going to spread them out. He's going to be able to run a little bit from that. He is smart enough now to take what's given underneath. We've seen him do this in glimpses. If they're going to play with pace and throw the ball, dink and dunk, ding and dunk. You're going to be able to get Khalil Shakir into lineups. I think uh, Dal- Dalton Kincaid has a chance to be a top five tight end rest of the way. Steph Diggs, we might see 12, 15 target games from him. And then Gabe Davis, instead of being boom bust down the field, if we're going to get this type of volume, we can see an offense. If you stacked the Bills, take off in the fantasy playoffs. This would be my favorite offense in the league to have pieces for, especially through the air, because this was a turning point. I think it stays. And if I was defense, I would be absolutely terrified of it. In the post game on Amazon, Josh Allen was asked about the pace and he said it was game plan specific and he wasn't Mm -hmm. sure if they were going to keep doing that. So I would just note that I'm still confident in everyone, but I don't think we're going to get the quick time, the no huddling and just the the blitzkrieging they did on offense, which made them more fun, honestly. Mm -hmm. Just to speak for myself, I I wasn't anti Dalton Kincaid. I was anti again, them forcing this two tight end sets because usage. Yeah. As we outlined, they probably wanted it to be met with base personnel and it was being met with nickel and dime. And so it kind of counteracted the advantages and the matchups that they thought they were going to create. And I use Darn Kincaid as like the figurehead of that saying they should just play the third wide receiver instead of him because I didn't think they were going to take Dawson Knox out and they probably wouldn't have until Dawson Knox gets this injury, and then now Duncan Cade gets thrust in there. I'm with you, Hayden, especially now with his Darren Waller injury. Like, Duncan Cade as a top-five tight end the rest of the way makes a ton of sense. I wish in stats versus film I had advocated more for Khalil Shakur or the third wide receiver on this team a bit more because we knew that they were going to play in that regard. Mm -hmm. It was weird. During the preseason, they kind of felt like they didn't want to play Khalil Shakur, 
that much. And they were playing Hardy and Sherfield over him, but it's pretty clear. I've always thought that Shakir is talent. He can play inside and outside and finds nice soft spots and zones. And I thought he looked really good this past week. So I'm totally with you that I'm so glad this now isn't okay. It's a Josh Allen run, or we have to find this stuff to Stefan Diggs. And if that's not the case, then maybe we got to scramble around and put pedal to the floor. It just felt more natural and easy. Mm-hmm. And wait, they, they are going to be tested. I do want to throw this out there. The defense they have coming up, the Bengals a week to the Broncos, then the Jets, the Eagles, and the Chiefs, and the Cowboys. So this new form is going to be tested a lot already, which I think is probably a positive before we get into the playoffs. That and the Bills' defense is also injured themselves, which I view as a positive for this offense. You can see some of these going to shootouts just because those teams that you just mentioned, uh, Chiefs and Dallas in particular, they can score points, I think, on this Buffalo. Defense doesn't scare me nearly as much. We also still need to get rid of these Latavius Murray carries inside the five-yard line. I mean, you talk about a play that consistently goes nowhere. Uh, they love wild. him. I don't think they're going anywhere. I, I think that Latavius is like still going to be a member of this. Anything again, you want to say about the, the Buccaneers, by the way? Um, I thought Baker Mayfield, I understand he had like two touchdowns. And he's like, finally, we're getting some sack regression. We're getting third down regression. It's all coming back to earth for him. A little bit, which mm-hmm. I think was pretty obvious after watching the first two or three games that this was going to happen uh, because he was running so hot on third downs. But Mike Sean Evans White, still scores touchdowns. Yeah. Sean White's only getting there, too, because of his targets, like a double-digit target share in every game since week two. As long as he keeps getting used in the passing game, he'll continue being a scam for you. Yeah. There you go. All right. We did it. 14 games, an hour and 37 minutes. Wow. John Daigle, the people have your show on 444 linked after this one if they want to check it out. But also plug the column and the waiver wires because after all 16 teams or 16 games and 32 teams play, there's many injuries and we learn a lot for the people to learn in your waiver column. And not only the waiver wire, but if you are already one in seven and you're just trying to make up for your league dues, our Halloween sale is going on which is, makes any sub 75% off. So even if you want the wow. betting discord, the DFS cord, which still has over half their year left, plus the playoffs in January and early February, we will help you make up those lost league dues and get you into next year. So 44.com, big Halloween sale through Tuesday. Yeah, Connor does a great job with the props. Yep. I know Ryan Noonan is all over the uh, mm-hmm. tackle and sack He's props. setting y'all's tackle well. props. What are you doing at underdog? <laughs> I, I see those numbers. True sickos. True sickos. Uh, if you're a sicko, go check out 444. All right. Mm-hmm. Aiden and I will be back. Stats versus film. Dive into and watch all of the games later on this week. Shout out to Producer Weaves. And shout out to all of you for watching and subscribing and helping us reach 100K. Up the villa. We will talk to you all soon. See ya.